Welcome to Working for Women, the independent women's forum podcast, where we are changing the conversation about women and public policy for the better. Hello, this is Carrie Lucas, president of Independent Women's Forum. I'm excited to be talking with IWF senior policy analyst Inez Stepman today. Inez, um, thanks so much for joining me. You know, I wanted to talk to you today about some of the changes that have been being made to, to Title IX. Inez, first, I'm hoping you can give us a little bit of history because I know the Obama administration made some big changes. Can you give us a little bit of a kind of background on the changes that happened under, under Obama as it pertains to sexual harassment claims, specifically on campuses? Absolutely. And, and thanks for having me, Carrie. So basically in 2011, uh, the Obama administration issued something called a Dear Colleague Letter, which provided guidance to the more than 7,000 um, universities and colleges that were receiving federal funds, mostly in the form of student loans. Um, and it, it demanded that they make some changes in the way that they adjudicate or deal with sexual assault or sexual harassment cases. So some of those changes that they made were they, they required a much lower standard of proof, preponderance of the evidence which is just more likely than not, right? If, if, um, if you think that it is 51% likely that the incident described as happened, um, as the accuser describes it, then um, you're required to go ahead and, and implement sanctions. So that's a really low standard of proof. Um, they, yeah. they got rid of the idea that of double jeopardy, right? We have this, this concept in due process in the Constitution um, that, people shouldn't be tried more than once for the same crime. So they allowed actually appeals for, from the accuser's side, right? So if you accuse somebody and there's a process and that person is cleared, um, you can go ahead and appeal that. Under the, Obama, um, uh, under the Obama guidance, you could appeal that, which was sort of a violation of the concept of double jeopardy. Um, they yeah. accelerated the timeline. They set a 60-day limit, which always, you know, increases errors, right, when you don't have enough time to properly investigate things. And, and one final really important note, they also discouraged, strongly discouraged any kind of cross-examination. And, and that was done to, to protect uh, victims. And, and I understand that it can be a really, really uncomfortable um, sort of situation to be cross-examined about one story. That being said, it's, a really, it's, it's pretty much the most important truth-telling device we have, which is why American courts so strongly utilize cross-examination. So, so getting rid of that was a huge uh, blow against due process for the accused. Yeah, well, that's, you know, it's interesting to, to hear all this because this really is, you know, it's interesting when you think about the kind of the, the norms that were so important for our nation's founding and kind of a legal process. And, the, and obviously it's different when it's taking place in a school, but I guess the stakes are, the stakes are pretty high. What would happen to somebody who's, who's found um, to be guilty? Is it um, what kind of sanctions were universities kind of commonly do doling out? Yeah, so it depended on, on what the accusation was, but it was anything from expulsion to suspension to just um, forcing, uh, and this actually short of, short of actually being sort of, um, I don't know, convicted is the wrong word, but um, short of being found guilty, uh, they, they also would rearrange men's schedules, make sure that they couldn't take the classes that they wanted to take, all of these sorts of things. Most importantly, though, I mean, once you are publicly branded as a rapist, that affects your entire life, right? And, and that's why I think yeah. a lot of these arguments from the left about uh, the fact that, oh, we're not talking about, you know, a crime, we're not talking about sending someone to jail, we don't have to have this sort of criminal standards. I agree. We don't have to have a criminal standard. That would be beyond a reasonable doubt and a full criminal trial. 
Um, that being said, these are really serious charges and they destroy people's lives. So for example, James Madison University back in 2014, after this Dear Colleague letter had come out, they had a case where a female student brought a Title IX suit saying um, that she had had a non-consensual sexual encounter with a male student. Um, and it turned out, and this was these were facts agreed to by both sides, okay? Um, so um, the male student uh, had had sexual contact with her several times over the course of a week, and she had been communicating with him over the course of a week. Um, but at the end of the week, she found another girl in his dorm room, at which point she filed a Title IX claim about their first sexual encounter. So at the beginning of the week, even though she had gone back and had sex with him a bunch more times, yeah. consensually, they were both agreed that it was consensual. And it took him two years to be vindicated in a federal oh court gosh. because he was actually sanctioned by his university, by James Madison University, and then sued in actual federal court saying that his due process rights had been violated and, and the court agreed, but it took him two years, right? And that can be really, really expensive and really, really draining to a person to try to prove that they're innocent. Uh, just one more example, this one very recent, a student at UC Davis was uh, accused in a Title IX suit of, um, so that he had groped a girl over her clothes. Uh, they, despite yeah. the fact that both of them agreed, they were mutually making out and both had um, stipulated the fact that she was actually doing the same to him. And, and nevertheless, it took him $12,000 over the course of years to, to clear his name. That's a lot of money. And more importantly, that's, I mean, that's your name out there forever on Google in the press yeah. um, as an alleged assaulter or rapist even. Um, and, and these are like really heavy things that uh, students have to deal with. Now, look, nobody is saying that it's not a really serious thing to be a victim of sexual assault. But schools are not equipped, and especially underneath these um, the 2011 standards from the Dear Colleague letter, they, they had basically stripped a lot of the key due process protections from people who have been accused of what is essentially a heinous crime just being adjudicated in a non-courtroom setting with none of the protections. Yeah, well, that's, you know, it really is. I think it's such a, it's so important because you're, you're right. I feel like it's always awkward when you're talking about this because, of course, we all know that it's, um, you we want to that bad things happen to women and it's really important that women are able to um, get justice. Um, but you hear these stories and it really does look like the pendulum has swung awfully far to, um, to not uh, protecting the rights of the accused. And that can really lead to a lot of, um, of unfair outcomes. So when you, I would, um, I'd love to hear, so what's happened since then? If this is kind of the, the legacy or kind of the policies that were put in place during the Obama administration, how have the, how has the Trump administration tried to, tried to change the, change this? I think the Trump administration and Betsy DeVos looked at this system and said, this is not working. In fact, this is not working to such an extent that we actually started to see towards in the last few years, we started to see, um, male students filing sort of preemptive claims of sexual harassment or assault against women sort of to protect themselves because the Obama guidelines encourage such an ambiguous and vague process that if there was a, a uh, sort of drunken hookup and both parties were intoxicated, we started to see men filing these, <laughs> filing these suits just because whoever got to the Title IX office first became the victim and whoever <laughs> got there second became oh the perpetrator. <laughs> so the Obama administration 
was, I mean, the, the Trump administration looked at this uh, and was like, this is not working, right? This is clearly not working. And we don't know exactly what changes they've made yet because they have yet to release them. They said sometime in October, October is ticking down here, but it wouldn't be the first time that uh, sort of government has gotten behind on its deadline. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was either very late October or early November. That being said, a lot of the elements in the draft uh, were leaked to the New York Times. So we know some of the elements, right? So it it, it changes a lot of those things um, that the Dear Colleague letter had set out. So, um, for example, changes the standard of proof to something a little bit higher, not not full um, not full criminal standard, which would be beyond a reasonable doubt, as we all know from watching all of those um, courtroom movies. But it's something higher than fifty one percent, right? Which is just more likely than not. Yeah. Sure. So it also gets rid of the discouragement against cross-examination, which, as I said, is sort of a key tool of the Anglo-American legal system to discover the truth and, and, and also does something about the possibility of appeal. Right. And it's important to recognize it just allows schools to do more. Um, this is really only a first step because it allows schools to have more fair processes but um, doesn't actually, you know, force them the way that the Dear Colleague letter did by threatening their funding if they do not. Although there are some state laws now that um, and state legislators have passed laws saying, no, we need to, to put in some due process guarantees for these kinds of adjudicatory procedures. So that's, that's one side of it. So the side we've been talking about with sexual assault claims, there's also a really important second side of this. Uh, that hasn't really been getting as much press because it's not about you know, sexual assault. But uh, the new guidelines also go back to a more narrow definition of sexual harassment. And this this was actually um, kind of a, a really worrying thing and that brought in a lot of civil libertarian groups, a lot of free speech groups, because the definitions of harassment under Title IX on college campuses have been getting really, really broad. So um, there is a Supreme Court standard laid out in Davis v. Monroe County Board of Education, and that that Supreme Court standard of what harassment is, so as not to impinge on on free speech, right, is that is is conduct yeah. that is so severe, pervasive, and objectively offensive that it denies a person access to the school's education program or activity. So that's kind of an objective standard, but schools yep. were using more subjective standards. So, for example, Brown University had the definition um, derogatory language directed at another person's sexuality or gender. Um, you can see how that might cut into speech, right? If somebody wants to say something about, for example, traditional gender roles or for that matter, um, like a leftist professor uh, was um class with one of these suits for using vulgar language in her class to describe, I think, female body parts. Um, and somebody found that offensive uh, and then slapped a Title IX sexual harassment suit on this female professor. So these definitions were getting really, really broad. And the new guidelines, at least from what's been leaked, look like they're going to go back to that objective standard that the Supreme Court has already laid out. Well, that's, you know, that's that's really so, so important because obviously these, these laws were put in place because they were trying to prevent like really bad actors or things that are were really terrible. Um, and it is, it's become such a, a problem on college campuses uh, with this, you know, with really um, everything becoming much more of a, of walking on eggshells and this potential for everything to be considered, not just, you know, objectionable, but the kind of thing where you're going to receive a sanction for it. And that's, that's really not healthy for, for um, free debate. Um, you know, and as I feel like I can't wrap this up without saying something about, because um, obviously, when we're hearing about this kind of the, the, what's the, the what's been going on college campuses, 
um, it, it brings back to your know, certainly brings to my mind what we just saw with the Supreme Court nomination with Justice Kavanaugh. Um, do you think, you know, as people uh, that there was any kind of influence or interaction um, between this or that you think the Americans are kind of newly awakened to this after, after having um, seen for better and for worse that what happened to him with that nomination process? Absolutely. I think um, with the Kavanaugh hearings, we saw these kinds of um, sort of very loosey-goosey standards from what I would call kangaroo court tribunals on campus jump onto the national stage and play out in the Senate yeah. of the United States during a confirmation hearing. All the same questions about the standard of proof, the standard of evidence required to accuse somebody, um, and then and then the idea that we should just believe women no matter what, like we shouldn't um, cross-examine them, we shouldn't uh, look into their stories, ask them for evidence. Uh, all these same concepts we saw play out on a national stage. And I, I, I think, and you know, we don't know for sure, it's hard to say, um, but from some polls, it really seems like the majority of Americans are kind of horrified by this new standard. But it, it just goes to show that what stays on college campuses is not, I mean, what happens on college campuses does not stay on college campuses, right? Um, we see these concepts and ideas that are really radical and are easy to make fun of on college campuses um, jump into the mainstream, into our businesses, into now even hearings and nominations for the Supreme Court. Uh, so that's why it's really important always, and, you know, a little plug for education, it's always really important to pay attention and to take seriously what happens on college campuses, because oftentimes those ideas go out and affect the rest of the world. Well, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for all this background, Inez, and thank you for everybody who is listening. Um, please come visit us at iwf.org for more information like this. Come visit us at iwf.org, where all issues are women's issues. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please give it a thumbs up, share it on social media, or stop by iwf.org for similar content.